There it is. So you can see today, uh, you know, our culture is still upside down uh, because of this pandemic that's going on. And yet we are still following Jesus. And today, as we're following Jesus, we're going to look at this story, this parable of the rich man and Lazarus, right? So I want to kind of start here today. What are parables? Well, uh, parables uh, come from a Greek word, parabole, uh, and it's really got two parts. Uh, the first part is para which means to come alongside or compare. And the other part is bala, which is to see. So to come alongside and see. So, hey, come look at this thing. Come see this thing. Another way we could put it, another definition is, it is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. An earthly story with a heavenly meaning. And I think we all sort of understand that. Um... You know, we all have, there's parables from all different kinds of cultures and all different walks of life and all different worldviews, but the Bible has them and Jesus spoke in them. So we can ask that question, why? Why did Jesus use parables? Why did he do it? Why didn't he just say, hey, here's the truth? Right, so we're going to look at this story today. Why didn't Jesus, why did he give us the story? Why didn't he just skip on it and just go right to the truth, right? Well, I think part of what he was trying to do was he was trying to give us truth in something that would be a memorable vehicle. Right? We think about, oh, when you want to help people who are less fortunate, people who are hurting, people who are not like you, you say, I am a, I'm going to be a good Samaritan. Well, we only have that because Jesus gave us the parable of the Good Samaritan. If he hadn't given us that, we wouldn't have some sort of word picture. It, it would not be quite as memorable. It would just be sort of facts or commands instead of an illustrative story. So that's one reason why he did it. Uh, another one, I think, is because it's, it's very easy for us to understand, Right? I know we're not doing Sunday school right now, and Lord willing, we're going to get back to having that kind of thing, but we think about our kids, and if you were like me, and you're like those kids, and you grew up going into Sunday school, you probably remember those stories. You remember those parables. You know, a little kid is not going to remember, hey, you need to help the yogurt. No, they're going to remember, though, oh, there was the guy who helped the man who was on the side of the road and was hurting, right? So it gives us a, sort of a this understanding that can apply to anybody in any place, any time, regardless of how old or how much understanding they have. Well, in addition to that, parables also give us a story within a story, right? Uh, they show us... Yeah, we're going to go back. Could give us these deep practical applications. Uh, and so it's not just, here's this story, but there's something deeper. There's usually kind of a story within the story. And so we could say, hey, has there ever been a time uh, where we've needed <laughs> deeper meaning and deeper application than today? I don't know. We could probably make some arguments about whether there is a time or not. But it is really important right now because right now our society 
is kind of upside down. And I see, I don't know if you guys see this, but as you look into the culture and you see this sort of slide on the screen, I think this is indicative of it seems like our culture is fracturing. Now, maybe it was already fractured before, and there was already a crack, and now this is just, it's just becoming wider and more evident here. But it really seems like two camps are kind of developing in America right now. One is the is one that says, hey, health considerations are really the most important thing right now. Like everything else should be set aside. We need to be most focused on these health considerations. On the other side are people who are saying, no, 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 there are some serious financial, some serious money considerations going on, things going on right now in our culture, and we need to be really focused on those things to the exclusion of other things, right? And there's this polarization going on. And now look, I'll say this before I say anything else. Both of those things are really important. They're both really important. They both really matter. And so nothing I'm going to say today should in any way imply that I think one is more important than the other. I think they're both important. But I think we can make a little matrix. Right? So I made this matrix. Some of you maybe know about the four quadrants, right? And so I made a little four quadrant one, right? So up there in quadrant one is probably the ideal, right? Oh, we have our health and we have money, right? We're healthy, we're doing well. And then quadrant two would be, we're we're healthy, but uh, we don't have any money. Quadrant three would be, we're not healthy, but at least we have money. And then quadrant four is like the bad place to be, right? Where I'm not healthy and I don't have any money, right? And so I think everybody, everybody around us would agree that quadrant one is where we want to live, where we want to go. That's kind of everybody wants to be. That's a nice place to be. And we go, okay, so that's fine. But the conflict we have today, because of this pandemic, is that people feel like we can't have both of those things. And I understand it does seem like there's this tension going on, right? The circumstances of, of our world are, are maybe preventing us from having that. And so now there becomes this conflict between quadrant two and quadrant three. There are those who are saying, well, given the choice between health or money, we should have health. And others who are saying, given the choice between money and health, we should have money. Right? Of course, nobody wants to be in quadrant four. But see, the problem is people are becoming so polarized and the circumstances are becoming so difficult and so challenging for people that they feel like, ah, if, we're gonna, if I'm going to have to live in that other quadrant, some other quadrant than the one I want, I'm going to be really angry. And we're starting to see people lash out in anger towards other people. And so as Christians, we need to look at this and say, what should we do? What shall I do? How shall I live in the midst of this kind of conflict that's going on right here in our culture? Well, what do you think? Do you think Jesus might have something to help us? Of course he does. And he has a parable to help us. And I'm going to share that with you today. So we're going to read. It's from Luke chapter 16, starting in verse 19. You're, of course, welcome to follow along as we go. But, of course, this is the story of the rich man and Lazarus. So Jesus says there was a certain rich man who was splendidly clothed in purple and fine linen who lived each day in luxury. Sounds like a nice place to live to me. And at his gate lay a poor man named Lazarus who was covered with sores. As Lazarus lay there longing for scraps from the rich man's table, the dogs would come and lick his open sores. Finally, the poor man died and was carried by the angels to sit beside Abraham at the heavenly banquet. 
a rich man also died and was buried, and he went to the place of the dead. There, in torment, he saw Abraham, of course talking about the patriarch from Israel, saw Abraham in the far distance with Lazarus at his side. The rich man shouted, Father Abraham, have some pity. Send Lazarus over here to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue. I am in anguish in these flames. But Abraham said to him, Son, remember that during your lifetime you had everything you wanted, and Lazarus had nothing. So now he is here being comforted, and you are in anguish. And besides, there is a great chasm separating us. No one can cross over to you from here, and no one can cross over to us from there. Then the rich man said, Please, Father Abraham, at least send him to my father's home, for I have five brothers, and I want him to warn them so they don't end up in this place of torment. But Abraham said, Moses and the prophets have warned them. Your brothers can read what they wrote. The rich man replied, No, Father Abraham, but if someone is sent to them from the dead, then they will repent of their sins and turn to God. But Abraham said, If they won't listen to Moses and the prophets, they won't be persuaded, even if someone rises from the dead. So there's a number of different places we can go with this story, where Jesus gives us, I think, a very complicated, very deep story that has a lot of truth. And so we'll just focus on on just a little bit of it today. But let's kind of start with the story and say, okay, well, what is this story? Right? I, I found this picture. I was, you know, there's a lot of pictures on the internet that you can find, and I found this one. I thought, well, this kind of exemplifies kind of maybe what I would imagine was going on there, at least you know before they died. And so here we got the rich man, right? It's obvious who he is in the picture. And it, it seems from the story that he is excessively wealthy. Well, why would I say excessively? Well, there's, there's clues to that, right? It talks about his food and his table. And it's like, almost like his table is, every meal is piled high with food so much that there's food sort of falling off scraps that someone can get. There seems to be this excess to what he has to eat, right? And his shelter, it says that he lived in luxury. It says that at his gate, right? He didn't just live in the gated community, He was the gated community. He has a gate, right? We see that here. He's walking out of it. He's got a servant there behind him. And we go, okay, how would we kind of connect this guy with today? Like, who would this guy be? Well, he'd be like a super wealthy guy, right? And, or maybe he's either like super wealthy or he has some sort of job, like he works for the government where his job is not in any danger of being lost, uh, the, you know, his, his small business, he doesn't have a small business that's going to close. It, you know, he works in something essential, uh, and he's set. And then, you know, let's say he does come down with this coronavirus that's going around, right? Well, he's got all the health care in the world, and he's covered. You know, he's got all the precautions, and even if he does get it, he's got ways to take care of it, right? So this guy is set. He's the quadrant one guy. He's got the health. He's got the wealth, well, let's contrast it with the Lazarus character. So Lazarus there, you know, sitting by the gate. It says in the passage that he was, you know, he was poor. There were clues that tell us, man, this guy did not have things going on, right? It says, at his gate lay this guy. So this guy was probably physically incapacitated and probably had no home to speak of. 
Right? It says that he was covered with sores. Well, we understand that would be painful. That's some sort of disease. That's some sort of sickness. So he doesn't have his health. But we also understand that would make him an outcast, a reject. Uh, because of the, the Jewish law, there's this big deal about skin conditions and their contagiousness. And people were very terrified of people who had that sort of thing going on. Uh, I was thinking of my own experience. Uh, I came face to face with a leper when I was in India. I was at a train station and I uh, bent down to tie my shoe and all of a sudden I realized someone was standing over me and I turned and looked and there was a guy covered with sores. And it was a little terrifying, right? You're like, oh, I can, I can kind of see that. It's scary, right? It says in the passage too, he was longing for scraps. He, was, he didn't have the scraps. He was longing for the scraps. This guy was clearly unable to provide, unable to work, not really able to eat. He obviously had no kind of government assistance coming his way. Uh, maybe, you know, he was sort of the equivalent of a dumpster diver. Has anyone here been dumpster diving? I, I've never been dumpster diving for food. I, I've been for scrap materials. I, maybe some of you have been dumpster diving for food. You were at a place where you need to do that. But that's kind of where this guy was, right? I, I don't know. How would we compare him to somebody today? Maybe uh, somebody who is lost their job, who's out of work, who has nothing, who didn't have any savings, had put it all into a business, and the business had to close, and oh, and now he's got COVID-19. And no one wants to touch him. He's got to be in quarantine. He's got to be off, set aside. So these are kind of the two main characters we got here. And of course, the, the setting eventually ends up in heaven and hell. And I think it's really interesting when we think about heaven and hell as it, as it pertains to this story is that Jesus talks about this like these are very real places. And so in some ways we might even say this, maybe this isn't a parable. Maybe this is an actual story. See, if Jesus is God and he knows everything, then maybe in fact this is something that has actually happened. But regardless of that, what is it, how does it describe it? It describes heaven as a banquet. As a wonderful banquet, and it describes hell as flames and torment and unquenchable fire. And that's how Jesus chooses to describe it. He could have described it anyway. But that's how he chose to describe it. And I think we, we ought to pause and say, wow, hell is a very real place. And so is heaven. So that's kind of the background on this story. And we say, okay, so what's the meaning? What is the meaning? Well, there's a few things that we can pull, some threads we can pull out of that. One of them is just this, that life is short. Life is short, and we need to be wise with our spiritual choices. I think something that kind of comes to my mind when I read this is I go, okay, if, if I had to choose between going, you know, a whole lifetime, 75 years, give or take, and just to have you know a little bit of little food and no riches and then get to spend eternity with God or go through this life and have everything and then spend eternity in torment I think I'd take option A that'd be my choice I think another thing we can think there about spiritual choices is we can look at the Lazarus character and we say okay what do we know about Lazarus well we we don't actually know much about him because he never speaks he never does anything except sit at the gate and beg. But we can infer something about Lazarus. And the thing that we can infer about him is that he was godly. That somehow in the midst of all of his trials, he was godly. Why? Because he's standing there with Abraham. 
And so we shouldn't take from this that, oh, to know Jesus or to be right with Jesus, we need to be sick, we need to be destitute, we need to be the dregs of society. No, that's not what he's saying. But I think what Jesus is saying is that those who know him, know him. It doesn't have anything to do with what they have or don't have, right? I think another thing that's telling about this story is, is look at the characters, even the title, the rich man and Lazarus. Who has a name? Well, the guy who has nothing. And who's just a random guy? It's the guy who has everything. It's almost upside down from our culture, right? We probably know who the wealthiest guy in America is, and we have no idea who the homeless guy is who's standing there with a sign on the corner. But Jesus turns that upside down for us. And he does that for a reason, and we'll talk about that here in a minute. Another meaning we can get out of this is that we, can, we recognize that many people are going to reject the truth about Jesus. Abraham says there, he says, he says to the rich man, and the rich man's over there on the, the hell side of things, he says, hey look, your brothers, if they won't listen to Moses, and they won't listen to the prophets, well, they're not going to be persuaded even if someone rises from the dead. And we all know someone has risen from the dead, and his name is Jesus. I think there's many people in our culture, and we encounter them all the time, and we see them on social media and in the news and all that sort of thing, who they, they seem to have this attitude of just saying, oh, well, you know, if God would just do such and such thing in my life, then I will believe in him. If he would just do this thing, I will believe. I think of the famous atheist Bertrand Russell, right? And he was asked at one point, they said, hey, Mr. Russell, what say you do pass away eventually like you will and let's say that you do stand before this God who you say doesn't exist. So let's say you stand there and you were wrong. What would you say to him? And his answer was, I would say to him, you didn't give me enough evidence. Not enough evidence. (laughs) And so we can see there are many people who are going to reject the truth about Jesus. But we don't need to do that because everything we need to find about God we can find in really two places. The first one is in creation. I love Romans 1.20. It says, For ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and sky. Through everything God made, they can clearly see his invisible qualities, his eternal power, and divine nature. So they have no excuse for not knowing God. I would even encourage you all, we, uh, my family has just recently watched a, a couple of uh, documentaries on nature. It's called The Riot and the Dance, and it's available in a number of places. Uh, if you're interested in that, you can let me know. You can also look it up on the internet. But it's this amazing, amazing photography, amazing nature program, but it's from the perspective of somebody who believes that God created it. It's, it's just very powerful. But it's there, and it's there for everybody. The creation is there. You don't have to go far. You can walk outside, or maybe you have an ant crawling across your floor. You can see it right there. You didn't even have to go anywhere. You didn't have to leave quarantine. We have the truth about God right there in front of us in the creation. We also have it in his word. We all love 2 Timothy 3.16. All scripture is inspired by God and is useful for what? To teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we're wrong and teaches us to do what is right. All that we need from God is right there. It's in the scriptures. It's what we have. It can point us there so that we don't need to be people who reject the truth about Jesus. 
so I think that's kind of the base meaning of the story. Those are a couple important threads there, but I think like we would look at any parable, we'd say, okay, there's a story within the story, and I think in this one there's probably a few stories within this story, and I want to pull out one this morning. I think when we look at this and we go, okay, Jesus is here. He's not just telling us this story, even if it's a real story and not really something made up. If if he's really telling us about a situation, he's offering us a practical application. In some of his other parables, Jesus says at the end, he says, he who has ears, let him hear. And when you look at the Greek of that, let him hear is really let him understand. He's saying, hey, I'm telling you something and there's something deeper to understand here. There is a story within a story. There is a practical application for your life. And so what is it? Well, again, I think there's a few here, but I'm going to pull on one this morning and start here. That This is sort of like, duh, right? But money is a major problem for humanity. Money is and always has been a major problem for humanity. And this includes every single one of us who's on the screen and maybe put me at the front of that line. It is a challenge for us. There's another parable we can read about and we're all familiar with the parable of the sower. And he goes out and he puts the seed on the ground and Jesus actually explains that parable. But the one where the seed falls on good soil and it grows, but then it gets choked out by the weeds, Jesus tells us, what are the weeds? It's money. It's wealth. It's stuff. So money is a major problem for humanity, for all of us. And yet we also have to understand that although money is a major problem, Jesus doesn't despise wealth. He doesn't despise it. He doesn't say, oh, it's evil, right? In Luke 19, he's having an interaction with Zacchaeus, and he commends Zacchaeus on his wealth and what he's doing and choosing to do with his money. In Matthew 6.24, he says, he talks about really the mastery that money can have over us. He's not talking about money. He says, no one can serve two masters. You'll hate one, love the other. You'll be devoted to one, despise the other. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. He makes it very black and white. First Timothy 6.10, it says, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. This verse is so often misquoted. Oh, money is the root of all evil. No, he doesn't say money is the root of all evil. He says the love of money is the root of all evil. And some people craving it have wandered from the truth faith. So money is a problem for us. And yet the Bible doesn't say, well, you should just become poor and destitute and move down below that line in our quadrants we put up there. That's not what it's saying. But when we set our sights on money and on wealth and on career advancement and on our possessions and we make that the goal and that the aim and that what we're seeking after, we're setting our heights on the wrong things. I remember uh, when I was a young man, I had a friend and he was a very driven sort of guy. And I said, man, what, what drives you in your work? What, what gets you going? And he said, on my desk, I have three pictures above my desk. I have a picture of a Rolex watch, a picture of an Armani suit, and a picture of a Ferrari. And that is what's driving me to succeed in my work. I was like, okay. That's very clear what's uh, driving that guy. And I'm sure probably none of you here have those same pictures or pictures like that on your wall. But we can have those things in our heart, can't we? Oh, I'm just looking for that time when I can retire and relax. 
Oh, I really want to have this thing. I want to have that thing. I want to have these things taken care of. So I'd ask you that. What drives your decision making? What drives it? Is it money? Or is it the gospel or something else? You know, you can't serve two masters. You can only serve one master. That's what Jesus says. And so I'd ask you, are you trusting God to provide for you? Well, you can kind of see how this is tying in with our current situation. And, uh, you know, I think it would tie in kind of on the other side of things, too, is that the worship of health is also a major problem. It's something that we really run into here in our culture. And I would really say when we break it down, it's not so much about health. It's really more about a fear of death. There's really this fear of death in our culture and this thought that if I'm not healthy, then this, and then this, and then this, and then this, and then I'll die. And of course, there'll be discomfort along the way too. But I think there's a real fear that goes into this. And hey, again, I would say, you can put me at the front of that line too. I can definitely be afraid for things. I, I think about my wife just had a, uh, a root canal and a crown put in, and there's a lot of pain and a lot of discomfort. And I think about others in, in our church here who've struggled with some dental things going on. And I go, wow, that motivates me to brush and floss my teeth. <laughs> all the more diligently than I was before. Or I think about working out. I know probably a number of us have hopefully taken this opportunity of being at home more to say, well, I'm going to get exercise and get out and, and exercise and lift weights or do exercise programs or whatever. And sometimes I could say, wow, I, I just want to do this because I, you know, I want to look good. I want to feel good. I want to be better than other people. I, I you know, or I, I could be afraid. I want to make sure I'm healthy so I don't die too soon. I go, well, maybe not all of that is necessarily all bad. But in my worshiping health, yeah, sometimes I can be, I think. And so, I think again, just like with money, the Bible does not condemn health. In fact, it says, yeah, we should be healthy. We should take steps to be healthy. 1 Corinthians six nineteen. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you are bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. Another verse, 3 John, verse 2, he says, I pray that all may go well with you and that you may be in good health. See, health is something that's even worth praying for. Yeah, let's pray for good health for ourselves and for others. That is a good thing to have. James chapter 5, we're all familiar with this one as well. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. We should pray for health and we should actually ask our leaders to pray for us. And in fact, if any of you would like Brad and I to come pray for you, we're happy to come do that. We see there's a command for us here to do that. But when we set our hearts on the singular pursuit of our own good health out of fear of death, we're setting our heart on the wrong thing. And I don't really have to cite a whole bunch of examples because I think probably all around us in this pandemic there are all these examples of people who are doing this. And maybe some of us are doing this too. And so again, I've got to ask that question, what is driving your decision making? Is it health? Or is it the gospel or is it something else? You can't serve two masters. You can only serve one. And so it's probably fairly obvious how this is applying to us today, right? We have one camp who's very concerned and say health is the most important thing. And another one that's over on the other side that's saying money is the most important thing. But let's go back to our parable. 
I'd ask that question, who in the parable had the earthly wealth? That was the rich man. Well, who in the parable had the earthly health? That was the rich man. But who didn't end up with God? Ah, that was the rich man also. So what bearing do health and money have on our eternal status with God? They have no bearing whatsoever. So what's the takeaway of this story? I think it's this. I think it's that Jesus wants us to prioritize the cultivation of our relationship with him. And again, I'm not saying we should just become destitute, ill people. But what's our priority? What are we aiming for? What is it? Are we going to cultivate a relationship with him and let God provide for our financial and physical needs? The gospel tells us that it's all about justification by faith alone. It's not justification by good works or good health or good resources. We're justified by our faith alone. And we can clarify that when we look at this parable. See, sometimes wealth and health and the pursuit of those things makes me forget that I'm justified by faith alone. And so we go back to the parable and we say, okay, we got the rich man, we got Lazarus. But you know, there's actually a third character who shed some light on this story. That's Abraham. And we go, okay, so there's Abraham and there's the divide between heaven and hell. And Abraham's over there on the heaven side. And how did he get over there? Well, guess what? The Bible tells us he got there and he didn't get there by doing a bunch of good deeds or doing the right thing. And in fact, we can read about Abraham and be like, you know, he didn't always make a lot of great decisions. He made some bad decisions. But how did he end up there? Genesis fifteen six tells us he believed the Lord and the Lord counted him as righteous because of his faith. So there we got Abraham, and it confirms what the Old Testament tells us, that Abraham is there on the side of God, and he's there in heaven because he believed in the Lord, and God said, you are righteous because of your faith. So if we know that's the case, and we know Abraham, and we know that he wasn't the best guy who did all the right things, and in fact he didn't even have the law to follow, And he showed up because of his faith. Well, who else in the story is there with him? Well, Lazarus is there. So what does that tell us about Lazarus? It tells us that Lazarus was right with God. And we can safely assume that's because of his faith too. That's how Abraham ended up there. That's how Lazarus ended up there. And that's how the rich man did not end up there. And I love that. The rich man, he calls across and he says, Hey, send Lazarus back. Send him back to my brothers to tell them to repent of their sins and turn to God. So he knows he didn't repent of his sins and turn to God. He's saying, you please go do that. Because I didn't do that. And so we can ask that question, how do I get right with God? How do I get right with God? Well, it's not by doing good deeds. It's not by pursuing money or pursuing health or being focused on those things in my life. We had this verse a couple weeks ago, Jeremiah 2.13, and God speaking, he says, My people have done two evil things. They've abandoned me, the fountain of living water, and they've dug for themselves cracked cisterns that can hold no water at all. And a couple of weeks ago when we looked at that, we saw that was, that was idols in our lives. 
instead of taking the source of living water that comes to us from God, we say, no, no, I'm going to make this other thing. I'm going to try to hold the water that's going to satisfy me. And yet the reality is we can't make something that holds it. It's cracked and it's broken and it's all going to run out and be worthless. And the pursuit of money and the pursuit of health can easily become, for us, digging cisterns that are cracked and broken and aren't going to hold living water. And so I think Jesus is telling us in this parable, don't let these things become idols. And so as I wrap it up here this morning, my encouragement to you guys is this. This is the world we live in. And we're going to see this polarization happening and continue to happen for a while, I'm sure. And this fracturing into these two camps is going to keep going on. But I think the gospel path for us is different. We have a different path. We don't need to land in one of these camps. We can walk our own path where we're prioritizing, cultivating that relationship with Jesus. And so please, please, please do not get caught in these worlds. Be careful what you say, what you share, what you post. Be careful. Be careful. And so when we go back to our quadrants here, and this is the thing I'm going to close with, is it it becomes very clear to us that the power of Christ allows us to live in any of these quadrants. When we're prioritizing cultivating our relationship with Jesus, we can live anywhere. We can be healthy and wealthy, or we can be like Lazarus and have none of that. Or we could be in either of those two other two worlds where you have one and not the other. Why can we do that? Because we've got the most important thing going for us, which is that we're prioritizing our relationship with him. So, we're going to get pulled. You're going to get pulled by friends. You're going to get pulled by family members. You're going to get pulled by very well-written news articles and social media posts and those sort of things. They're going to pull on you. But my encouragement to each one of you is... Pursue Christ first. Pursue Christ first and everything you read, everything you hear, everything you experience, look at it through that lens. And I am confident that we are going to experience a far greater peace when we center our hearts on that pursuit and not the pursuit of those other things. Alright, I'm going to pray and we'll close this morning. Heavenly Father, thank you. God, thank you for giving us your word uh, and giving us this story, this picture of what's really important. God, we live in a time that's so confusing and so uncertain and so challenging. It's a, a time that has affected every single one of us and basically every single person in our country, maybe even every person in the world. And God, it's so interesting to see the world around us trying to dig cisterns of meaning, of health, and of of money, and of being so worried about these things. God, help us to turn to the source of living water. Help us to be cultivating relationship with you. Lord, give us, give us hearts that burn to read your word on a daily basis, to pray, to be in conversation with you, to have you walk with us and us walk with you each day. God, we thank you for that crystal clear truth, Lord. And God, we ask for wisdom. 
And we, we ask you, help us to be wise as we relate to the world around us, to the people around us. Lord, give us compassion. Lord, people who are struggling and digging cisterns and worried and concerned, God, they probably don't know you. Lord, give us the opportunity to be in peace and to share the good news with those who don't know you in the midst of this. Lord, we do declare that we love you and we thank you that you've provided a way for us to be right with you, to have a relationship with you. Lord, that just like Abraham, we can believe and have it be credited to us as righteousness and that having received that free gift when we die, which is going to happen to all of us at one point or another, that we can be standing over there with Abraham and maybe we'll get to meet Lazarus too. Lord, that's where we want to be. Lord, help us as we walk out our faith in daily life in this culture. In Jesus' name, amen.